Kings and Tangents. Episode 4. <laughs> Welcome to Kings and Tangents, episode Hello. four. Oh, I can't believe it's been four episodes. I know, seriously, it's been it's been quite the ride. Yeah, I think uh, this episode is hopefully hopefully it's going to surprise people as much as it surprised me. Yeah, I think it surprised you a lot too, right? Yeah, for sure. So uh, today's episode is fur or fetish. Fur fetish. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. I was kind of excited and a little bit nervous about doing a furry episode because we both do not identify as furry or involved in the furry fandom per se. Yeah. I would say this. I I like pet play. I, mm. I pet play as a bunny. In fact I'm wearing my bunny ears right now. They're not it's <laughs> not it's not my playtime bunny ears, but they're like my like cute, cute bunny ears. And I made <laughs> you put on the, the face mask. Or it's not it's not a face mask. It's like a headband that I have. Uh-huh. That they sell at, like, all of the beauty stores. And it's, like, different animals. And you have the pink kitty. I have the pink kitty. And <laughs> low-key, guys, it's really, really comfy right now. Um, but I think... I, I I felt like it was it was right to do this. Because I think the past three episodes, we've been experienced in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, in regards to the kinks that or the tangents that we were yeah. discussing. Really trying to understand this particular subject... For me, I, it really required me to walk in somebody else's hooves, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of a challenge because we want to learn the intricacies of this community. Yeah. And, you know, paint it in a light and not really be too ignorant about anything. Like, really try to understand all the different facets of what people consider furry or furdom. I, I think um, as people, both you and I are really into video games. We're yeah. also part of the cosplay community. Mm-hmm. Um, we've gone to raves. We've been doing these things since we were quite young. Yeah. So um, having been part of these different fandoms, so to speak, we've liked anime since we were very young. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... It's like we grew up watching cartoons. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I really want to honor the people that are part of this fandom and um, identify as furry and I would also like to put information out there about sort of why there why that preconception exists mm-hmm. that furries are a fetish and it's like totally sexy times yeah because that does exist in their fandom mm-hmm. and um, I don't want to be completely um, dismissive of that either yeah so yeah so yeah and uh, you were mentioning that earlier. This is kind of a rectangle and square situation. Yeah. From what we've seen in different studies, you know, a lot of websites talking about furries from a sexual standpoint, the one thing that we've noticed is that the large majority of the furry fandom does not identify this as a type of sexuality or a type of fetish or a kink. Right. Um, as a matter of fact, a large portion of that, they tend to to disown that right because they feel like it gives the entire community a bad rap Mm -hmm. yeah i i would definitely um agree that's some of the similar research that was coming up on my end um i had figures as small as like one percent um people in the furry community discussing sexy sexy furry times Mm -hmm. um and i've seen some people say up to 10 percent i think either way we do have to give credence to that and say like, yeah, you know, people that are in this community, that's what they're reporting. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's worth trusting them on that. I mean, it's not this big giant conspiracy to like, that, that's a big thing to hide. Yeah. Like th- that would yeah. be some flat earth 
kind yeah. of level of conspiracy. And yeah. I, I don't think the furries are on that level of conspiracy. No. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm really happy that um, I was pleasantly surprised to the point that I was shook. <laughs> I was shooketh. I really went into this. And when we first talked about making this podcast, we talked mm-hmm. about how we we really wanted to do kinks. We also wanted to talk about culture and nerdy stuff and history. Yeah. And and that's why where tangents came from. And so I was very pleasantly surprised to find out that this is kind of a tangents episode. It's a it's a major tangents episode. And the one thing that really made me super excited is that there's a lot of really deep history yes. about the furry fandom, like even just beyond the sexual aspect of it. And a lot of it ties into actual world history. Absolutely. And, you know, I think with that, because it's such an isolated community of, of fandoms, there there's a lot of misconceptions and fears and um, I would say paranoia around the furry community. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I wonder if it's because it's it's such a small fandom. It seems to me, it is my bias, that a lot of the furries in that fandom are not very talkative, sociable, outgoing. In fact, they do have these personas to help combat some of their social anxieties. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they may may not be able to defend against 40 years worth of bias yeah. against them. Yeah, and it's it's become like a safe space for a lot of people like enjoying this fandom. Like, as you said, they may not have the social skills or they may be very introverted yeah. or, you know, on, on a form of the autism spectrum. Yes. And this is a way to cope with that or to feel like you belong. It's comforting. Yeah. There's a sense of community there. Yeah. And I, I would put it out there to say that it's not unlike the cosplay community mm-hmm. or people like me that love Halloween, like dressing up as somebody else yeah. for a day is really cathartic. It's fun. It energizes you. So yeah, I think um, anybody that may have, maybe going into this episode with a preconception or um, whatnot, that, that we're, it's purely sexy, kinky stuff. We do have sexy, kinky stuff in this episode. So don't worry about that. We yeah. got you covered. <laughs> we got kinks, but this is mostly tangents. <laughs> Um, so on that note, I kind of wanted to point out the two big things that had happened that I think has really started to paint the furries in a bad light. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and th- this particular thing is what kind of was everybody's first exposure to furries. Yeah. I didn't know furries was a thing until I was watching CSI with my uh-huh. parents and it was like that fur pile and they're mm-hmm. like, somebody gets shot and it's at this furry convention and you're watching CSI, and it's just like it's just kind of a hot mess of an episode. Like there's just so much going on. Oh man! If that's the first exposure that you have to the subculture, and CSI at the time was a very popular show, it's totally understandable why people have this. I certainly had that preconceived notion. Yeah, like my my first experience with the furry fandom, I must have been you know preteens, like eleven or twelve, kind of early internet. You know, you have GeoCities. Oh. And, Angel Fire and like you go to fan sites, let's say for your favorite show, and you had these early versions of you know like what would now what would become you know sites like DeviantArt, and you would go there and it kind of skewed more towards erotic depictions or drawings of anthropomorphic yeah. creatures, and so me as a kid I'm I'm like oh okay so these are quote unquote furries and they're all into sexy time yeah and I think too people. We, as people from the future, may sometimes um, have difficulty looking back at something that happened 5, 10, 50, 100 years ago. Yeah. And 
it's super important to look at it through a modern lens because mm-hmm. that's how we grow and continue to develop as as a culture, as a people, as humanity. And it's also worth examining, and I do I do have notes on this um, later on in the show, it is worth examining that internet culture five years ago, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. 20 years ago, 30 years <laughs> ago, makes me really sad that I'm this old, <laughs> um, was very different. And the population and the people that were on the internet is very different today than it was back then. Back then, you had to own your own computer, which was very expensive. Mm -hmm. You were a hobbyist. You Mm -hmm. probably built your own computer. You probably know how to fix computers, so you might have some sort of engineering degree Mm -hmm. or mathematical understanding. And therefore, you're going to have a lot of grown men that are on the internet and on computers pretty early on. And that really didn't start to change until social media and we started having more women mm-hmm. on the internet so i think that was worth pointing out as well thank you for for mentioning that because yeah. i totally forgot to point that out too on that note um i do want to talk a little bit about um paraphilia after mm-hmm. all this discussion about how it's totally not a sexy times thing <laughs> um uh, the, a subset is i'll say very 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 sexual <laughs> yeah absolutely and i think you could sexualize anything i mean look That's at true. the cosplay community you have That's tons true. of cosplayers that have like buy my snapchat and you'll get nudie photos all the time Mm -hmm. you have a lot of patreon cam girls and cam boys and porn is a very lucrative business yeah and um it's very easy to hypersexualize an imaginary character and i think that's that's like a whole different subject for another day but my assumption would be just like with any fan base there's always going to be the rule 34 yeah and i think that that could be made sexy times is going to be made sexy times um, like the Minions. Have you seen Minions? No. Sexy times? Oh, Minions Sexy Times is intense. I'm going to have to look this up. Yeah. <laughs> um, during the daytime, maybe either now while our browser history is totally bizarre <laughs> or like wait till our browser <laughs> algorithm is like normal again so that we can mess it up again with, with Minions uh, porn. See, I'm just, I'm going to look online and do searches and then Google's just going to assume, oh man, this guy's a huge fan of despicable me i'm just gonna get minion ads <laughs> would you like a banana dildo <laughs> yes i will i would love to buy pharrell's happy single oh god. with minions on the cover oh god but yeah so um even though we're talking about how this is more fur than than fetish on a technical level anybody that um is really finding these characters sexy or um ha- sort of are turned on by this idea of, of them being animals themselves or being treated like an animal, mm-hmm. that is technically considered autozoophilia, which means that you are turned on by the idea of you turning into or being an animal. So it's, so it's specifically the experience of you becoming... Correct. Okay. There is also zoophilia, mm-hmm. um, which is you are sexually attracted to animals. Um, a subset of that, of course, would be bestiality, and yeah. I think I think that's one and the same on a, on a paraphilia list. Um, mm-hmm. You do also have plushophilia, which we're going to get into a little bit later, mm-hmm. and all of these things are in one way related to um, this the the furry the furry dumb. It affects a small, very small percentage of the furry fandom, mm-hmm. um, but I thought it was really important to talk about this because again, we have this public perception that it's like this weird, gross thing, right? Yeah, and um. I think that there's a couple of reasons for that. So we have paraphilia as defined by the DSM. The DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders. 
Um, it's used by healthcare professionals in the United States and in much of the world, in fact. Mm-hmm. And it really um, is, is kind of the guide for diagnosing, addressing symptoms, and maybe prescribing care. Or actually, not prescribing care, but definitely descriptions and symptoms and diagnosing mental disorders. Mm. So paraphilic disorders included in the in this would be voyeuristic behavior mm-hmm. which is spying on other people in private uh-huh. exhibitionalist disorder which would be exposing the genitals genital, genitals exposing the genitals <laughs> uh frauderistic disorder which is touching or rubbing against a non-consenting consenting individual mm-hmm. um sexual masochism as well as sexual sadism so either undergoing humiliation, bondage, or suffering, um, uh-huh. or inflicting it. Uh, pedophilic disorder, fetishistic disorder, which is basically non-living objects, mm-hmm. or having a highly specific focus on non-genital body parts. Also, I didn't know this, and this kind of bums me out. Transvestic disorder is also on this list. Really? In the DSM-5. Wow. And um, the definition of that is engaging in sexually arousing cross-dressing. So, wow. um, I don't know, I don't know if that would, it is my bias that I don't think it means transsexual. Mm-hmm. I think it is my bias that it is, um, and this is very common in, um, in men more than women by far. It's when you get, um, erotically aroused by the idea of somebody changing from one gender to another. Mm-hmm on like a temporary basis for sexy, sexy times. Uh-huh. And you do see um, sissification and whatnot in a lot of BDSM for men where they get turned into a girl or mm-hmm. and they're called like a tramp or a slut and they're put into like women's clothes. Interesting. Um, so all of these things are considered a paraphilia. And these di- disorders are traditionally being selected for specific listing and assignment of explicit diagnostic criteria in the DSM for two main reasons. One is that they are relatively common um, in relation to other paraphilic disorders, Mm -hmm. and some of them entail actions for their satisfaction that, because of their noxiousness or potential harm to others, are classified as criminal offenses, such as masochism or sadism. Masochism, inflicting injury on yourself, you cannot give consent to someone injuring you. Mm -hmm. And there's tons of horrible, horrible, horrible sadistic crimes that have been inflicted on people for the sake of sexy, sexy times. Uh Um, Also exposing yourself in Mm. public or being a peeping Tom. Like these are criminal offenses, which is, and of course, like having sex with children, having sex with animals, like these are not consenting partners. Mm -hmm. Therefore it is a criminal offense. Again, this is quoting from DSM. The eight listed disorders that I just discussed do not exhaust the list of possible paraphilic disorders. And actually, Hmm. I looked at the list. The list is really long. (laughs) Um, There was stuff like hair. Like hair is a paraphilia. Really? Um, Yeah. So there's there's a lot more than just this list. But these these particular ones are just very common. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to bring that up. And I also wanted to bring up just the idea of BDSM. um, And there are erotic scenarios that have animal role play. Mm-hmm. That is with very common and seen in the BDSM community, such as collaring and leashing somebody. Yeah, pony play is pretty big in the BDSM community, um, and other things too, like meowing, whinnying, panting, licking, petting, cuddling, collaring, as if you are a bunny or a kitty or a doggy or uh-huh. a dinosaur. I mean, <laughs> a as somebody that like knows people that are in in the pet play space, like. They tend to identify to like cute cuddly stuff and they mm-hmm. like it because it's like, please, please rub my belly or like, I want to yeah. cuddle with you. Yeah, it's, and, it's, it's, 
a symbol of affection. Yeah, and people that play within that are in an even smaller demographic of the BDSM community, and they do it, like, full-time, and they live in cages and things like that. But that's mm-hmm. now getting to a point where you can consider it edge play, and it's it's now lifestyle BDSM, which mm-hmm. in a previous episode we've discussed that. Yeah. Can you give consent to that? Is that safe, sane, consensual, and so on? And again, motivations for this behavior may include power exchange, and um, this generally has no connections to bestiology. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned I, I think pet play is really fun. So being collared and leashed and mm-hmm. wearing bunny ears, like, oh, I'm a bun bun. But I I don't want to be a bun bun. Like, yeah. I don't want somebody to, like, have sex with a bun bun. Like, that would be so horrific to <laughs> yeah. me. And I, I think that everybody within that would also be the same. And we do see it also just, like, in song lyrics. Like, I remember there's this one song that was, like, I'll be your kitty cat. Like, yeah. I'll lick the milk out of the bowl. Like, we do have it just sort of in quote-unquote normie culture yeah of just this idea of i'll be your kitty cat i'll be your puppy dog it is mm-hmm. a form of of identifying it's, it's like projection or projection thank yeah. you that's a great word for it um so i think that's why we do have a lot of these pre- preconceived notions and perceptions around furries is because i feel like we are attributing both diagnostic <laughs> sort of stuff to it again seeing that um Sissy play is considered a paraphilia. That was that kind of shook me. Or yeah. and I knew, and I think I mentioned this before: masochism and sadism mm-hmm. being considered a paraphilia because of the consent. Because of the consent and it being a criminal thing, and so um, wanted to put that out there for anybody that is into this sort of thing, and just mm-hmm. say like maybe maybe this is why people think this way. And then conversely, if you think that there are a bunch of sickos, well, maybe be a little curious about that, and maybe yeah. this will help you build some compassion. For both sides of sort of the preconceived notions. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I think might be potentially related to this public perception that furries are equals sexy, sexy times is because it could potentially be a super normal stimulus. And that basically means any sort of existing stimulus that you have, like touching or caressing someone's skin, like mm-hmm. that's sexually arousing. That's really pleasing to feel, right? Yeah. For some people, touching fur is even more sexually arousing because it provides more stimulus. Mm-hmm. And this um, this sensory, super, super normal stimulus isn't limited to sexy, sexy times. We do mm-hmm. see that in birds wanting mm-hmm. to um, sit on a, a fake egg because it's uh-huh. smoother, because it's warmer, because it's whatever. Mm-hmm. And we see that in human behavior. We see that in humans liking junk food yeah. because it's crunchy, salty, sweet, fatty. Like we get that rush from this literally super stimulus yeah so we want it more so i don't i don't know I, again i i'm not a furry i wouldn't know but i i would wonder is yeah. that furry texture also contributing to that yeah and you know you can see that as you as you were talking about in a non-sexual way um people that prefer sleeping with weighted blankets yes i am one of those people <laughs> or like even in a sexual way like there are other clothing fetishes maybe you're stimulated by the feel of latex on you or rubber or Mm -hmm. spandex yep absolutely rope which i think is going to be one of Mm -hmm. our next episodes it's the same thing it is it is a stimulus of being confined maybe you're testing Mm -hmm. your physical limits i'm curious if that again if that has anything to do with that now that we've talked all this shit about (laughs) the the fandom and what is it and what do people say about it we talk shit about csi uh we talk shit about our own preconceived notions um Uh what we haven't covered yet is like who are these people and what exactly is this fandom? Yeah. Who are they? <laughs> <laughs> so I have some demographics okay. stuff. Um, and I think that this is kind of calling back to what we just discussed about the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in the 90s, a lot of furries were adults. Mm-hmm. And furries today, like right now, right now, a lot of them are mostly teenagers. Interesting. And um, I found that largely they are white, they are male, mm-hmm. um, and two-thirds of them identify as LGBT. Wow. Yes. I So I thought that was really crazy. Like, we're looking at a population... Kind of like bronies. Uh, bronies is a very similar but different fandom. Um, for those that are not aware, it's um, people that are really into My Little Pony. Mm-hmm. Specifically, My Little Pony. Well, it started off as... I think this is its, its own. own. <laughs> yeah, that's, this is its own thing. Um, so it started off as a fandom around uh, My, My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. Right. Which came out, I believe, in the very late 2000s. Yes. Um, and then it's kind of expanded to the entire franchise as a whole. Yeah, and in that that whole subculture, you will notice a lot of them are white and a lot of them are male. And I think a yeah. lot of them are drawn to that culture for similar reasons that um, furries are drawn to furry culture, which is that maybe they're looking for an escape. They're looking for a community. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they're looking for a softer, safer, happier place. Yeah. And um, and that's certainly what, what came up a lot for me in in, in my research. Um, I do have a survey that was ha- taken at Furry Fiesta 2013, and they found that 96% of the male respondents and 78% of the female ones had reported and viewing furry pornography. Huh. But we have to, we ha- I, like, we really should point out, like, viewing it does not necessarily constitute, like, that you're jerking off, like, maybe yeah. you stumbled upon it. Um, so a lot of these people have seen it. Um so that, that that's where this statistic starts becoming interesting mm-hmm. is men reported looking at furry porn um 41% time or 41 times per month on average while women reported looking at it 10 times per month. Mm. J- just interesting worth putting out there that is self-reporting that is this one year in 2013 <laughs> which was more than half a decade ago. Yeah. And it's a very small percentage of the furry population as a whole. Mm-hmm. I do have another uh, study here, which was pretty recent. 18% of respondents self-identified as zoophiles, which, as you remember, is, is a paraphilia. Uh-huh. And um, the amount of, of like how many of these people represent the general population, we don't have any information on that. That's just people at this one thing, this mm-hmm. one study that they took. And they reported a 10 to 15% prevalence respectively but again like there's no there's no follow-up questions about like what is the degree of of the activity mm-hmm. um who like who of the furry community has participated uh-huh. um how did they find out this information so um that's that's what i have on demographics on that end yeah and it seems like what we've seen online as far as research into this a lot of it is very recent. The earliest study that I could find that has really credible statistics, the earliest one I could find was 2005. Okay. So people are just, you know, they're starting to correlate and get a lot of information and statistics yeah. of just how prevalent furries are, the furry fandom. And, and who they are. And who they are. Yeah, and from what I've seen with a lot of these studies, the majority of... Uh, furries are male Mm -hmm. and i actually have a study here from uh flara uh it's a furry website over half of furries claim they believe that the representations of furries in the media is biased only 9.3 percent thought it was unbiased 
uh, 38% had no opinion or weren't even concerned about it. And again, like, you and I having been part of subcultures before, mm-hmm. that sounds about right. Like, when I was really into going to raves, like, back yeah. in, like, 2001, <laughs> I didn't care that other people didn't listen to electronic music. Yeah. When I was going to Anime Expo in, like, 2002, I didn't care that nobody knew what anime was. Mm-hmm. I think that the fact that some people just don't have an opinion on it, it's like, yeah, I don't care. Like, I don't care what other people think. Yeah. So I think that that's pretty cool. Like, there isn't, like, they aren't all kind of falling to pieces about it. Yeah. Because honestly, if you're not causing anyone harm, including yourself, you're having a good time and you're a nice person, like, keep having a good time and be a nice person and not hurt anybody. Yeah. And it it shows a lot when you see the statistics about sexual orientation. Yeah. When it comes to the furry fandom. Uh, it, it tends to paint a picture that the average person within that fandom is more attuned to who they are. They're more comfortable with who they are. Yeah. And I think that plays a role in that kind of no opinion stance. Because mm-hmm. it's not whether, you know, oh, they're fighting for for a better, you know, representation of the of the community. They just don't care. Yeah. They could care less. Or maybe they, they know that, like, the people that I care about, like, care about me and, and that's that. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think just kind of humanizing them. Like, these people aren't just, like, 18-year-old guys that live in their mom's basement and watch, like, Tiny <laughs> Toons all day long. Yeah. Like, these are bankers. These are... These are professionals. Professional men and women, you know, that are our age. And, you know, down to, like, 13, 14-year-olds. Like, yeah. I loved the movie Balto when I was 13, 14. And mm-hmm. I, I totally had a crush on Balto. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, like, that, I think that there's something really harmless about that. Same thing yeah. with, like... Um, watching a movie like Robin Hood. And, like, mm-hmm. Robin is pretty funny, and he's smart, and he's witty, and we have tons of characters that are anthropomorphized that you you develop a um, an appreciation for and you develop affection for, because like Mickey Mouse. Yeah. He's, like, the number one most popular, <laughs> like, animal anthropomorphic uh, character. You know, Mickey Mickey is well-loved well and, and well-admired and across the world. Yeah. So I think there's something to be said about the fact that, like, my research is showing me pretty consistently across the board, like, these are normal people. Yeah. Um, I actually have some quotes. Okay. And so one of the videos that I was watching um, was from Vice. Mm-hmm. And um, the video was the truth about furries, fandom not fetish. And um, some of the quotes that were on there um, were kind of, like, some of the stuff that people were saying was kind of heartbreaking for me. Really? Yeah. Some some people talked about, like, why why they wanted to be a furry. And they just were like, I just wanted to be somebody that wasn't like me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be somebody that was more outgoing, somebody that was brave, that would start conversations. Whereas normal me, I have social anxiety and I don't like talking to people. And I feel mm-hmm. more comfortable in this persona or fursona. And I, I can be somebody different. Yeah, so it's basically an, an avatar of yourself or an alter, almost an alter ego. Yeah, and, and a lot of them just, like, hang out. They go bowling. Um, <laughs> one person just said, I just want to hang out and be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, another person said, I know I'm human. I just wish I was a cat. <laughs> and I totally relate to that. I wish I was a cat. Like, yeah. I want to lay around on bed all day and, like, eat stuff out of a can. <laughs> be fun. Just um, toss things over a table. Yeah. Just swap, swat things to the ground. I mean, that's practically me right now. I just don't do it on purpose. I'm just really <laughs> clumsy. Um, there's one person that said something about um, about why people find this fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because they just, they feel different. They feel like they there's something out there that like 
is calling to them and they just don't belong maybe in their normal social circles Mm -hmm. um, that are readily available to them. And um, they think kind of like, there's got to be somebody out there that's just like me. Yeah. And again, like you and I met because we both love video games. Yeah. And that was not really that cool of a thing in like 2002. Yeah. And we both loved like... Who was like? Who was I really into? I, I this was before Dead Mouse was big. Do you remember seeing Dead Mouse set together as one? Yeah, like, two thousand five. I th- yeah, or like um, it must have been like Paul Van Dyke. Or... Yeah, Paul Van Dyke was yeah. huge, and nobody knew who these people were. Yeah. No, like I remember Alice DJ. Yeah, same thing. And so like you go to raves because it's like, oh my god, like this is the only place I could find this music because all we had at the time was LimeWire and Napster. We didn't yeah. have YouTube. We didn't have Spotify. We didn't. We just had CDs, and most yeah. of the CDs sucked yeah. because we loved EDM, and it's the same thing with cons, right? Like, uh, a good friend of mine told me about um, one of her cousins and how she's gotten really into anime, mm-hmm. and her first con, um, I think she was the Anime Expo or maybe something a little bit smaller, she showed up at a workshop, and she, like, literally, like, got choked up. She's, like, 13, and she uh-huh. just was like, I feel like I found my people. Oh, I know, right? It's just best. like, I could relate to that feeling. Because yeah. I certainly felt that way about anime and, and trance and like yeah, and drum and bass. Video, <laughs> like, like both of us just recently got into cosplay. Yeah. And, and it's kind of that same feeling where it's like, hey, this is fun. This is cool. And wow, it's like, it's really positive. It's a welcoming community. Yeah. And in cosplay, um, I, I know you've experienced this. Mm-hmm. You, you get called by your cosplay name. So yeah. whatever it is that you're cosplaying as, so uh, you've you you've cosplayed as like a squiddy, yeah, and as uh, as Yoshi, as Yoshi, yeah. right? I've done Alice, I've done Bowsette, I've done Cami, and like people people don't know your name, but they know your character, yeah. So it's it's I would imagine and it is not a huge leap to say like that people in the furry fandom, if they go to a con, they're probably going to be known as their it's their persona. And as their persona rather than kind of, I guess you would say your Christian or your born name. Yeah. Your birth certificate name. Yeah. Um, and then another thing that I wanted to, uh, there's actually two more uh, things that I wanted to point out. One person talked about sort of, you said like, uh, I use my persona as an avatar mm-hmm. and for others, it's more than just role play. Yeah. So um, you do have a whole spectrum of people that like, are really, really into their fursona, and, like, they if they could, they would live a 24-7. Mm-hmm. And then you have other people that would probably... Because you and I are kind of, like, very easygoing cosplayers. But yeah. we know people that, like, cosplayers their whole life. Yeah. So it's the same thing in the furry uh, fandom. And I also found something similar in their outfits. Um, mm-hmm. I was watching some of the videos of, like, their events and stuff. For the cons, it seems, like, pretty consistently, people are in their full suits. Mm-hmm. But, um... The more casual settings, I've seen people either in a full suit or sort of half and half, where mm-hmm. they're wearing their normal human clothes. Uh-huh. Maybe they'll wear the gloves and then they wear the headpiece. Yeah, but they're not head to toe in fur. Yeah, I've I've seen um in a lot of conventions I've gone to, uh, really casual, you know, members of the community would wear tails. Yeah. So they would have tails with them and maybe ears. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's it's I just really wanted to humanize these people mm-hmm. and just be like you know, they're just it's it's kind of like Trekkies right like Trekkies were a weird yeah. thing in the seventies and now it's like oh yeah that's yeah of course it's you're part a it's part for the course yeah so I I I I suspect I wonder and I hope if maybe thirty years from now people might have a, a kinder 
more accepting understanding of what a furry is. Yeah. Um, and I think the reason what, what really like cinched that feeling for me, um, uh, cause again, I was shook. All of my research kept putting that this isn't like, this is not a fetish. And I was yeah. like, oh my God, how can I be wrong? <laughs> but all of, all of my research was saying other words. And what really cinched that for me was, um, one guy on this documentary said, you know, he's a suit maker. I, mm-hmm. there's implication that he was a uh, transsexual mm-hmm. and, um, they mentioned that they were physically assaulted. They were hit Whoa. by somebody while they were in their fursuit. Mm-hmm. And just the way that he went about saying it, he's like... And I think this is one of the people that was saying, like, you know, I'm not a very outgoing person. I'm kind of shy. So this lets me to kind of be a more, like, braver, stronger person. Yeah. And then for them to follow that up with... Also, I've been, like, hit. I've been punched out of nowhere by somebody that's not even a furry. Mm-hmm. Um... And that, he, and like, the way he said it, he was like, yeah, I don't I don't want that to happen again. And my heart yeah. broke for him because, like, I could see one of our cosplay friends, mm-hmm. like, being assaulted, being hit or struck because somebody doesn't like that character. Yeah. How out of context and out of place and inappropriate would that be? Yeah, especially when you're, you're in a vulnerable state. This is an area where you feel safe. Yes. And to have that this violated. This is your safe space. Yeah, and to yeah. have that violated, it's it's crushing. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think maybe, you know, to that point, I hadn't considered that. The fact that a lot of these people are in public, you know, putting themselves out there, building these communities. I think that there's um, there's a lot of bravery in that, especially since there's so much misconception. I've seen stuff like yip and hell, uh-huh. fur, and then like the F word. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, why would you, like, why like, do you why? have... Like, that's so hateful. Yeah. That's like telling somebody that wears cosplay to, like, die in hell. Like, yeah. why? Because you don't like anime? Like, that seems a little, that seems a, a little, little crazy. A little crazy. It's, it's, it reminds me of those, uh, those picket sign guys outside cons. It's just like, you know, oh, yeah. mouthy women, sports fans, yeah. you know, every, all gay people are going to hell, yeah. repent. And, and you're entitled to your opinion, but yeah. I, again, I really wanted to put that out there that, like, these are human beings under these fursuits. And if, if you feel very, very strongly and like, you're really like shook yeah. to hear all this, maybe like be inquisitive about that and be like, is it because I, I don't want to be wrong? Is that why I feel so strongly about it? Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to see you as a human being and I don't, I don't want to be wrong about this not being a fetish. Cause like it was, it was more fun in my head that this was a fetish, Yeah, <laughs> you know? So, so it's kind of like so, reverse yeah. self-identifying. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, if we look at sort of the entire human existence, anthropomorphized creatures um, Mm -hmm. and and sort of, did you know where from like werewolf? Mm -hmm. Where means man in Old English. Really? So if you say werewolf, you say man-wolf. Huh. So you could say werefish, and so you're saying merman? Mermaid? Mermaid? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. um, So, you know, we do have a lot of sort of these mythos you know mm-hmm. we have shape-shifting um we have totemism um mm-hmm. there's a note from sorry i'm trying to find it really quickly there's a note from a youtube channel that is totally escaping me right now i found it cool. so um i wanted to start with this because i think that it segues well into the sort of mythos um, culturally effed. Have you heard of it? Mm-mm. It's a YouTube channel. Okay. And I like to call it by furries for furries <laughs> because it's run by a bunch of furry people. 
And I think that if you really want to, like, have an understanding of a people mm-hmm. or culture or fandom, like, you got to hear it from the horse's mouth. Yeah. Wow, that is, like, such an appropriate saying in this particular <laughs> case. I didn't even, I, I promise, I promise I didn't plan that pub. I did not, plan, pl- I didn't plan it. Um, but, yeah, they, they talk about how um, myths, legends, fables, children's books, cartoons, there's tons of anthropomorphic figurines, carvings, statues. Mm-hmm. We have Robin Hood. We have the book Animal Farm. Fritz the Cat, which is like a risky uh-huh. animated film. Uh-huh. All of these things that have come out of human culture, out of human storytelling, out of hundreds of years of, of children's books, of like little bunnies in like their yeah. little like waistcoats. Yeah. I love Alice in Wonderland because half of the animals are wearing clothes. Yeah. I think it's really adorable. Like, oh, a waistcoat on a rabbit. <laughs> so cute. There's a whole song about it. Yeah. From like the movie. You have yeah. like all these great characters like Thumper and Bambi. I mean, the whole mm-hmm. entire Disney spectrum, all of those animals yeah. are anthropomorphized. Yeah. So we have a really long prevailing history and culture of um shape-shifting from uh-huh. human into something else mm-hmm. such as an animal an animal such as an animal <laughs> <laughs> and um it's existed in many forms of mythology folklore media mm-hmm. for the entirety of the human existence across the globe in different forms we see it mm-hmm. in um shamanism epic poetry ancient greek and roman mythology mm-hmm. and how we see it in the twilight series yeah um or like you remember animorphs animorphs literally the cover is a generic teenager morphing into like a, a fucking frog. octopus yeah <laughs> yeah you know so like it's it's super prevalent in our culture in our media i mean the greeks zeus would literally turn into anything and then have sex with women <laughs> all the time in Britain, there's stories of witches that could turn into hares for mm-hmm. the purposes of stealing milk and butter. Whoa. Um, in Japan, kitsune is a yokai, mm-hmm. or basically like a bakimono, or like a, it's like a spirit. Yeah. May or may not be malicious. And um, the kitsune becomes a fox. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it, the, the kitsune lure, lures men in. Uh-huh. There's a similar mythos in China. It's like a sea serpent that lures uh, people into the river to be drowned. Mm-hmm. Um, and often these transformations in folklore are used as a plot device. Uh So the reason why we keep having animals be prevalent in our literature is because turning into an animal or creature is a form of confinement. It -hmm. could be punishment. It could be a method to obtain abilities or powers. It could Mm -hmm. be about growing up. It could be about inner conflict. So it's worth thinking about, you know, why do we anthropomorphize animals and 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 beyond that what does it mean yeah and then we do have um totemism now i really it was really important to me to bring this up because this has been a discussion um thankfully that's been coming coming up pretty much since coachella became like the like (laughs) classic wearing the indian headband yeah the feather dress yeah the war chief headdress and people started getting really upset like that's cultural appropriation Appropriation, just like white women wearing dreadlocks Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth um blackface has been in the media it's 2019 at the time of this recording there is a a really popular twitch uh, streamer that just recently got banned from twitch yeah because she was doing a form of what people consider to be blackface Mm -hmm. 
I'm not going to go into that because it's right now it's a really controversial subject, but cultural appropriation is, is a big subject right now. And, um, totemism by definition is where an animal or another natural figure spiritually represents a person or a group of people that has been seen in many cultures, but it's Mm -hmm. most often seen in like native American beliefs. Uh So like a spirit quest or spirit animal is another way to put it. And, um, we see it in Harry Potter, right? Yeah. Um, Your, your starts with a P. Patronus. Your Patronus, right? And it's becoming more common for those that are not in those indigenous tribes, um, or those indigenous people, or, um, I I think there's some form of it, like, in, in Japan, right? Because, because Mm -hmm. of Shinto. Yeah. They find it they find it as a part of their spiritual belief. They've been raised on it. It's part of their personal identification. Mm-hmm. And it, it can be seen, and it is seen as culturally appropriating by saying, like, oh, a cat is my spirit animal, which is why I dress up as a cat. Yeah. So I can see that also kind of being some level of, of, of controversy for some people. Mm-hmm. So I have a whole bunch of stuff on just the history of furries, personas, fur. I am down to listen to everything. <laughs> so... In 1870, <laughs> <laughs> this is going way back. <laughs> Super way back. Venus and Furs was published by Leopold von Schacher Masoch. I hmm. do not speak German. I am a thousand percent sure I totally didn't say that right. <laughs> um, and this was a novella, part of a, a larger series uh-huh. that largely focused around female domination and sadomasochism about a man who dreams of speaking to Venus about love while she's wearing fur. Huh. Um, this is the first time sadism. So uh, this is around the same time. Uh, about a hundred years ago, sadism was derived from the Marquis de Sade mm-hmm. from his writings. And so Leopold um, von Sacher Masoch, um, masochism came from him. Oh, and I just wow. thought it was interesting. This is the first time that I personally could find any any sort of fur plus sexy times in history. It's just that kind of crossover. Yeah, and I, yeah. I just it was interesting to me, and I wanted to throw that out there. Mm. Um, but I did think it was interesting that there was this sort of combination of a woman in fur. My mm-hmm. assumption would be that the woman is naked and she's surrounded in fur, uh-huh. calling out to the 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 auto sensory mm-hmm. sort of situation going on with the fur textures. Also, back then and pretty much not until like the nineties, women were hairy down there. Yeah, yeah. So again, I don't know if you know sort of the bodyscaping that we've started to do recently has made us averse to fur. Yeah, I don't know if there's any sort of that's just a thought. Yeah. It, just putting it, it, it might there. be something to to look further into yeah in 1965 uh kimba the white lion came out um mm-hmm. you're the one that brought it up to me i think it's a movie right yeah it was a uh it's actually a manga oh it's a manga um it was created around 1965 that was among the first you know work major works of popular like pop culture i would say quote unquote a fandom but a, a work of pop culture that mm-hmm. kind of seeped in uh to a more mainstream audience mm-hmm. Um, and that's right around the same time you, you had these, this golden age of Disney movies Yep. with anthropomorphized animals. Yep. So in 1973, we have Robin Hood and that Mm -hmm. tends to be a very often referred to within the furrydom. It tends to, yeah. And I think it might be a generational thing perhaps because it, it, that movie tends to be kind of landmark Mm-hmm. It when we're looking into the history of of modern furry culture, that tends to be a very landmark moment. Yeah, and I I would say I 
I associate it with older furries mm-hmm. than with the younger subset of furries. Yeah. Because, you know, you and I were in our 30s. Yeah. Not a whole lot of people in, in, our, in their 30s that are of our generation have seen Robin Hood. Yeah. So it would be my bias that the people that kind of kicked off the furry fandom, that was their, their closest sort of... Sort of closest, like, analog to... To furrydom? Yeah. Um, and so around this time in the seventies, this is when sci-fi conventions started. Yeah. You had Trekkies and Trekkies were weird. We didn't, (laughs) people didn't know what Trekkies were and like, why are you guys like in somebody's basement? Like, why are there 50 of you? Like doing the weird hand thing? Yeah. People didn't understand. Yeah. But this is the first time that you see people on a large scale assembling because they're really into this one particular thing. Yeah. And that, it was kind of the birth of sci-fi pop culture. Yep. And out of that, you have tons of fans coming together. So you yep. had comic book writers, artists, um, writers. And so comic books like Fanzine, Foodie, mm-hmm. and um, Omaha, which apparently was like a very salacious, mm-hmm. had um, started at that time. You also, in the 70s, had uh, the Watership Down. Yeah, Watership Down was mm-hmm. a... Vi- if you guys watch Watership Down, it is very mature. <laughs> And fucking crazy. Yeah, I mean... Very violent. This was at the time... The 70s was also um, sort of the sexual revolution. Yes. There wasn't a whole lot of um, censorship on television at this time. Yeah. And um, you could see porn in a regular movie theater. Yeah. So we didn't have um, age restrictions on media content at mm-hmm. this time. Yeah, and and cartoons weren't... at At the time, they weren't considered truly like... Just for kids, quote unquote. Correct. At the time, it was considered a medium. Yeah. So as we move into the 80s, we mm-hmm. have Animal Olympics, which was the same director as Tron. Yes. So, yeah, the, the same director did Tron. And later on, he kind of disavowed being involved in Animal Olympics for some strange reason. Probably because of the furry fan culture. It, it might have been. And that movie itself has a very interesting history. So, um, again, this is around the time where furry culture was being developed and... Mm-hmm. It was kind of like almost, I wouldn't say a, maybe a love letter to the furry fandom or, or that fascination behind it. Uh-huh. Um, but the movie actually kind of kickstarted, funny enough, as a result of the United States boycotting the Soviet Union with the 1980 Olympics. Mm-hmm. Summer Olympics. The Summer Olympics, yeah. So uh, NBC had commissioned. Um, his studio to make two different specials, mm-hmm. one for the Summer Olympics and the Winter Olympics. As a result of the U.S. boycotting, NBC canceled all of their coverage. And because of that, he decided to continue on with making the project as a feature film. Hmm. That film kind of became one of those, again, one of those landmark movies yeah, in the like Rocky fan- Horror Picture Show. Yeah. It it's be- like a it's, cult it's, classic. It's, it's a cult classic. It's considered the Rocky Horror of, of the furry fandom. I, I watched it when I was a kid through reruns on the Disney channel. Yeah. Yeah. I have a tangent on this entire tangent episode. <laughs> um, talking about the 1980 Olympics. Mm-hmm. So have you ever, have you ever noticed that Russian people are like really into Adidas? No. Especially Gopniks, which are like the Eastern, the former Eastern European, like Soviet bloc. Uh-huh. They're really, really into like the striped tracksuits. Do you uh-huh. know why? Why? Because Adidas or Adidas 
Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> was um, the the designer of the Soviet Olympic uniforms. Hmm. And if you look at the vintage photos of that time, they because it's Adidas, and Adidas is a German company, uh-huh. and I think just the connections with capitalism and whatnot, I mean, it was the Soviet Union. Yeah. Instead of having the classic three-stripe of the Adidas tracksuit, they had the two-stripe. Whoa. So... Just an interesting because you mentioned yeah. the Olympics earlier, so I was like, I have to throw this in because I yeah. think it's fascinating. It's a weird tangent. Yeah, so it's yeah. interesting how uh, the the Olympics would influence culture yeah. in like so many different ways, including furry culture. Inclu- furry culture through a random project <laughs> by a director who loves animation, yeah, and went on to you know influence so many different facets of sci-fi and just pop culture fandoms in general right very fascinating absolutely so i mentioned that comic book voodie that started in the 70s mm-hmm. voodie ended up closing down in 1983 mm-hmm. um this is around the same time that anime was becoming more and more popular mm-hmm. um you did mention kiba the white lion which was a manga so that came yep. from japan um anthropomorphic creatures people is pretty prevalent in just japanese culture uh-huh. it's part of their storytelling it's part of their mythos while um, we see a shift, maybe there's less content coming out of U.S.-based mm-hmm. providers like Foodie, there's more anime coming in. So the fan base does start to shift over to anime as a result. Mm-hmm. Some of the comics that were coming out around this time was Roar, Roar Brazzle, <laughs> Albedo, Anthropomorphics, Teenage uh-huh. Mutant Ninja Turtles was created yep. at this time. And we had cartoons coming out around this time, such as Gummy Bears and DuckTales. Yeah. And I think My Little Pony was the 80s as well. Yes. So in 1985, this is when furry parties started. And mm-hmm. um, these furry parties start at the sci-fi, sci-fi conventions. Mm-hmm. So much like conventions have now, like you'll have meetups, you'll have workshops, you'll have meet and greets. Yeah. Very much the same thing. They would show anthropomorphic videos, such as Animal Olympics. <laughs> And this this sort of activity and this, like, meet and greet was carried over onto other cons as the mm-hmm. years go on. And um, both of us found evidence for this, that the term furry mm-hmm. was coined in 1986 by huh. a guy by the name of Fred Patton. Uh-huh. Um, and it was during a discussion group during one of these sort of furry meetups Mm-hmm. And he, this guy is a furry writer, and he, they uh-huh. were talking about albedo anthropomorphics, which was mm-hmm. a comic book at the yeah. time. Um, another note that I have for the eighties um, is that furries had a huge impact on the early development of message boards. Yeah, definitely. So it, it goes back to what you were talking about earlier about being in a fandom and you know getting in touch with other people that have the same similar likes and mm-hmm. interests as you, um, and that that audience tends to skew towards you know engineers mathematicians especially at this time especially at this time so you had uh early days of the internet like usenet groups Mm -hmm. early message boards and that's how people who were into furry fandoms would congregate Mm -hmm. and exchange information set up meetups set up cons it kind of went hand in hand with an audience that was more into like science fiction but also you know engineering like stem in general yeah um so in 1989 furry Mm -hmm. started to pull away from the sci-fi sort of group Mm -hmm. um i think for several reasons this is 1989 like we're about 20 years into sort of sci-fi conventions and i i'm sure that there's 
anime conventions that are starting cropping mm-hmm. up and whatnot. I know Comic Con started around this time. So um, you start to see fracture, like this fracture of, of quote unquote, the sci fi convention. Yeah. And so you have the first conference. Ah. And it was called <laughs> Conference Zero. Uh-huh. And um, Hilda the Bamboid um, is sometimes credited as the what? first fursuit made. And it was. Um, Hilda was premiered at Conference Zero. Mm-hmm. So you guys can't see because we're doing a podcast, <laughs> but. I've been hiding this photo from you so that you can describe oh, to our man. listeners what you're looking at. All so right. this is the first, as we know, first fursuit. Wow. The very first fursuit. Okay. Well, what's the first word that you would use to describe this? BDSM. Yeah. Yeah. Sexy. It's very sexy. Very, very bondage. Yes. Um, so I'm going to try to paint a picture for you through audio. <laughs> um, so there are very high length, thigh high, high boots. Mm-hmm. You have what appears to be... A very tunic-like top with, um, like, like corset strap, like a corsetry lacing, very like Ren fair almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have what appears to be a kind of like a rubbery latex leotard, and again, like you have uh, shoulder-high gloves, mm-hmm. and then you have what looks like a fennec fox headpiece. Yeah, with large made of fur. ears. Yeah, made of fur. Um, large, large eyes. Uh, detailed nose. Very crazy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, it's, and, and a collar to, to boot. Yeah, and you know, again, looking at this, if this is the first time, this is nineteen eighty nine. This is the first time you're seeing any furry. You're gonna have preconceived notions about the entire fandom. Yeah. Um, furries that you and I have witnessed. I have never seen a furry that looks like this. Yeah. And I believe, um, bam, bambioid, bam, bambioid, mm-hmm. um was based off of a comic book character that is very sexy, sexy times. Interesting. So, um, yeah. yeah. And did you know this is a man in, in this suit? Really? So even though the fursona or this character is wearing high-heeled, thigh-high boots, sort of this bdsm like, one-piece with boobies uh-huh. and, like, eyelashes, very feminine character, yeah. it, it is a man. That's interesting. Yeah. And it, it kind of plays into the the statistics of, you know the majority of the furry fandom that, that looks into it for sexual purposes, they tend to skew towards bisexuality mm-hmm. and being more open and prevalent. So honestly, that doesn't really surprise me that much, especially uh, for that cosplayer being, you know, identified male. Yeah. Um, that's really funny because around that time, you notice kind of the sexuality seeping into kind of, I would say the mainstream idea of furrydom. Okay. Where you see, especially with a lot of the shows that came out at the time, you, there might be a character that has kind of sexy accents to it. Well, here's an example. Jessica Rabbit. Yeah. She's human. Yeah. But she's married to a rabbit. Yeah. And her name is Jessica Rabbit. Yeah, exactly. Um, Actually, uh, speaking of, I have another picture. Yes. So. Oh my God, it's my turn? Yeah, it's your turn. So around that time, we're, we're talking about the, the early, uh, mid, late 80s, sorry, early mid 90s. to late 80s. Uh, there was a cartoon called Heathcliff. It was about a cat who lived in his owner's house, would get into crazy, ridiculous adventures, and there's a set of cats that lived in the nearby junkyard. And one of the cats was a female and appeared very kind of sexy time-ish. Okay. For a, for a quote-unquote kid's show, and it was very appropriate for the time. First off, yeah. okay, 
She's wearing leggings. Yeah. You're really you're really into that. <laughs> um, and yeah, she looks like a 1980s workout instructor. Yeah. So it's very kind of like sex symbolish for the time. Totally. Yeah. This is actually really cute. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> so um, it's based. It looks like a white cat. Yeah. And she's got like her tail. Oh, cats came out around the same time too. Yeah. I totally forgot about cats. Right? Oh, that's... Oh, that could be another... And, and so we have we, we have this really cute looking cat in leg warmers. Imagine mm-hmm. um, just like a very feminine sort of character. I mean, I don't... I, she doesn't have huge boobs at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's definitely got that figure eight. That, that figure feminine out. look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's cute. Yeah. yeah I'd but, be her friend. Yeah. <laughs> She'd be fun to hang out with. Yeah. And so around this time, I mean, now we're moving into the 90s, right? Yeah. And we see a great deal of animal anthropomorphized characters in mm-hmm. the media. So we have Tailspin, mm-hmm. Lion King, Gargoyles, Space Jam, Tiny Toons, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, yeah. um, Star Fox, I yeah, think. Yeah, Star Fox at the was, same time. was huge, yeah. yeah. And honestly, that, that would be credited with one of the first major, quote-unquote, furry video games. Um a lot of the commercials that Nintendo put out featured puppets and people in fursuits mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. advertise the game. And yeah. that, that seemed very unique for the time because mm-hmm. you didn't really see people in fursuits in commercials. Yeah. Aside from, you know, maybe the, the occasional college sports mascot. True. Yeah. So we, we simply are becoming to be very inundated in the nineties with a lot of these characters, I mean, uh-huh. Space Jam, Lola Rabbit. Yeah, She right? was so cute. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so with that, we have Anthrocon, which mm-hmm. is, I think, now the biggest furry con in existence. Yeah. Anthrocon started in New York in 1997. Mm-hmm. This was also the same year that they had their first fursuit parade. <laughs> um, and there was a con at this time... It didn't specify, I couldn't find in my research what, what con it was that was closed, uh-huh. but there was rumors of over-sexualized content mm-hmm. in a con, and it forced the con to shut down. Whoa. And so again, 1997, like, this is like Reagan era. Um, the 97? This is like Clinton. Like Clinton era. We have, like, the Mon- Monica Lewinsky scandal. Like, mm-hmm. we, you know, politically, socially, like, we're going through a lot of things. The AIDS scare, we finally calmed down from. We yeah. have, like, TLC, like, wearing condoms to, yeah. like, <laughs> the MTV Music Awards. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of concern around sexuality yeah. and where it's appropriate to be for children. Yeah, and I think right around the time, that's when the TV ratings kicked off yes. for North America. Yes, there's a lot of concern, um... And you also, again, like, just talking about, like, from a cultural perspective, we also have the explicit content stickers that start going on rap albums around yeah. the same time. Yeah. So, in, in 1998, and, and this group existed from 1998 to 2000, um, there was a group called the Burned Furs. Hmm. And they were a group in the furry fandom uh-huh. that wanted to separate the adult undertones of the art. Uh-huh. However, they were very, very picky about who would be in the group. And hmm. um, there were a lot of people that administrate the group that were transphobic, homophobic, um, and were just very uh, extremist conservatism. Ext- there was a lot of extremist conservatism in the uh-huh. group. And as a result, it, they were shunning a lot of people. So uh-huh. as a result, the movement failed. Yeah. So I think that they did have good intentions. They were like, yo, like, 
I'm not in this for the sexy, sexy times. Mm -hmm. And it's not fair that you guys are misrepresenting the rest of us because there's, we have a loud majority. Yeah. But then they kind of became a loud, or sorry, a loud minority. And then they kind of became a loud minority that yeah. was also misrepresenting the yeah. furry, furry culture. Yeah, and I think, especially with the early statistic that we had where a good majority just don't have an opinion. Yeah. So if you have this group yelling and yelling, they're not going to care regardless. Yeah. And then you have the other majority saying, no, like, this is who we are. Yeah, and again, you know, you got to consider sort of the cultural, social, political context. This yeah. is when we have Bush yeah. <laughs> in office. So we have a lot more conservatism in, in, in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, the 2000s started to mark the controversy, I would say, yeah. in, in the furry, um, in the, in the furry fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in 2009, sorry, in 2000, in 2000, there were nine furry conventions. And, um, we also start to see a lot of, um, a lot more communities pop up beyond mm-hmm. just message boards. Like we have yeah. like art communities. Yeah. Especially around this time, the, the image of, of furry fandoms on the internet, they've really exploded around this time. And you start seeing all these sites dedicated to the creative aspect of freedom. Mm-hmm. So before you would have, you know, small message boards of people sharing maybe fan fiction mm-hmm. or artwork and they have sites like DeviantArt, mm-hmm. like Fur Affinity start popping up, where if you're an artist in the furry community, you can upload an image and in two minutes have that be broadcasted to everybody around the world. Yeah. And again, that's a reflection of sort of who's on the internet at this point. This is early 2000s. Yeah. Um, and we we just start to see more people contributing in in a way that is beyond sort of what it had been before. Yeah. And maybe even the demographics start to change. So, I mean, you and I, we were in middle school at this time. And I was on the internet constantly. Yeah, me too. And it was a wild, wild, wild place. Yeah. And it's like, you know, your your idea of going to your favorite site was, it was maybe some random GeoCity site. Yeah. Owned by some guy. Oh, I had a Sailor Moon Angel Fire. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so the 2000s also mark sort of... Um, the misconception of furrydom. Mm-hmm. So in 2001, there's a Vanity Fair article that came out. And I quote, <laughs> The furry group has its own customs and language. Yif means sex. Yiffy means horny or sexual. And yiffing means mating. I'm going to unquote there and, and mention yiffing is, is the sound that coyotes or wolves or sound that bird, fox, foxes, foxes make, make when they're mating. Yeah. Um, Quote, for a pile denotes a bunch of furries lying on top of one another affectionately mm-hmm. while scritching and spooge is semen. I didn't know that that's where spooge came from. Spooge? Yeah. I just thought it was a generic term yeah. like spunk. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize that it came from, from that fandom. It's crazy. Um, a possible outcome of fur pile. <laughs> a fervor is anyone who is sexually attracted to mascots and such. End hmm. quote. So um, this was written by George Gurley for the Vanity Fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and on his website, he describes himself as such. George Gurley is a contributing writer for the New York Observer and Vanity Fair, who has also written for many other publications as diverse as Playboy, Marie Claire, and the New York Times. Uh-huh. Now, statistically speaking, Marie Claire, Playboy, Vanity Fair, 
three out of the five that he lists, they're not really going for like hard journalism. Yeah. So I, I would like to point out that having someone that is writing an article that is a white man mm-hmm. in the early 2000s um, for Vanity Fair, which is not a, like it's not culturally like a diverse piece of literature. Yeah. It's not. Journalism, yeah. Like when I think of it's the Paul va- Washington Post, yeah. When you think of Vanity Fair, you think someone entrenched in, uh, like just the movie industry or Hollywood industry in sure. general, or just like social, yeah, tendencies or whatnot. Yeah, and, and when I think of Marie Claire, I think of like how to wear your eye your eyeshadow and give your boyfriend blowjobs in astrology. Yeah, <laughs> I know because I used to read Marie Claire, so I I'd like to say you know yes he he is a journalist but take that with a grain of salt yeah he he has a very limited view of the culture yeah in general and this is still you know it, it's starting to become more prevalent but this is still pre you know hyper hyper fandom pop cultures you know of you know uh, two hundred thousand people at san diego comic-con yeah or or sci-fi being the pop culture item. And I would also say it was written from the perspective of an observer. Yeah. With an opinion as a result of observing, mm-hmm. um, which is totally fine. Yeah. That's what he was paid there to do. Um, but I do see, I read the whole article. It's a long article. <laughs> um, and there's a marked focus at one point on plushophilia. Huh. Which means having sexy times with plushies. Huh. So, like, we have, like, the opening of this article is, like, it's there's a kitty, like, hugging a fox, like, mm-hmm. they're having coffee. Um, a beaver's telling me about how they got into the fandom, such and such. And then all of a sudden, it's, like, I'm talking to somebody that ha- has their entire hotel room full of plushies. Uh-huh. And they talk about how they have sex with them. And then it, like, went into this, like, other tangent about, like, some people are like, well, you can't cut up the plushie because, like, that's, like, gross. Like, that's, like, cutting open a cat. Uh-huh. Like, the, yeah. like, that's how they, like, I think of my stuffed animals that way. Like, yeah. my grandma used to pick up my stuffed animals by the ear, and I would get so upset. I'm oh, like, you're no. hurting them. You're hurting their hair. <laughs> um, so I thought that that was really sweet. But it was just kind of, like, there was, like, some sort of reference to, like, Jeffrey Dahmer. I was just like, where is this article going? <laughs> like, I thought that this was about a furry convention, and all of a sudden we're in this, like, dark hotel room full of these stuffed animals that have somebody's like semen in them yeah like that was like how quickly the tone of the article turned wow which was very unexpected and i couldn't concentrate for the rest of the article because i was yeah. kind of like well there's people having sex with plushies yeah um well, so it's kind, of, kind of like part of it has to be you know it, it grabbed your attention i think yeah. that was kind of the point where maybe he was a bit forced to by his editors to have it more sensationalized yeah absolutely so of course people aren't going to look at it that way yeah um, and then the other, uh, and I think, and I mentioned this earlier, the other thing that had a huge cultural impact on how we view furries here in America is CSI. Yeah. CSI was huge <laughs> in the 2000s. It was up there with like the Sopranos. Yeah. And, um, it was the episode Fur and Loathing in 2003. Mm-hmm. The description from IMDb reads as follows. The discovery of a dead man in the wilderness in a fursuit leads to an investigation at the going-ons of a convert of a furry convention but but okay so like but. you read the imdb article and, uh-huh. and that's what the description is but it opens to basically a fur pile and people are having sex in their fursuits mm-hmm. most of the footage that i've seen of like furries is them like dancing 
<laughs> and like trying to put a straw into like a furry suit <laughs> helmet. Like and struggling. It's just like a bunch of nerds trying to have fun. Like yeah. that and we've been around furries. Like they're just nerds having fun. Yeah. Like they're not whipping stuff out and rubbing it against other people yeah. and like at these conventions. Like yeah. this is not a sex party for these people. <laughs> and so it had a huge, huge impact mm-hmm. on on just our our understanding of what furries are which is it, this is what i've thought for <laughs> over a decade is yeah. furries just have sex with each other yeah i was apparently completely wrong <laughs> and so as a result um conventions started to crack down on the media's attendance mm-hmm. and they were also starting to crack down on the adult content huh. because a lot of them i would imagine were horrified like, yeah. could you imagine um, when we were playing video games? And I think we did go through this. It was just yeah. like, oh, you play Dance Dance Revolution? Yeah. You just jump around all day? Like, yeah. so lame. It's so lame. And it's like, well, maybe if you, like, actually played DDR, you'd realize, like, what a fun game it yeah. is. What a difficult game it is. Yeah. And I'm not just a nerd. I am an athletic nerd. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's physically demanding to play DDR. Yeah. And so I think that, um, understandably, you know, if, if people thought that DDR people were really weird and we were pedophiles and we were weird and we were having sex at the arcade. Yeah. I think the arcades that we attended would be more critical about the people that they let in because they want to create a safe space Yeah. for the people that are giving them money that yeah. are enjoying a community that they built. <laughs> yeah. So we start to see, you know, sort of this community start to close off. Yeah. So, um, around the same time, this is 2005, mm-hmm. the first annual furry cruise started. That sounds fun. you can buy tickets for 2019 right now. Oh, man. It sounds like fun, right? Yeah. And, um, 2006, Anthrocon moves to Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. It's the most popular convention, and it's brought millions of dollars to that city. Wow. It's like, I think their biggest convention. That's crazy. Yeah. So, it's, furry culture has had a huge fiscal impact Hmm. um as well as a social impact um by 2009 we have 30 conventions worldwide and this also coincides with cosplay becoming more and more popular Mm -hmm. worldwide especially here in america and i i can't help but wonder because there's more and more of these furry events and there's it's becoming more normalized mm-hmm. and it's being less demonized yeah that people are like oh you guys are just a bunch of nerds that like to dance and be sweaty in, in that's pursuits. weird but okay like go have fun yeah like weird, weird flex but okay yeah i mean it's the same thing for me going to a convention right like people want to go like and dance for five hours and I'm like weird flex but okay like go have fun but like i would not want to dance in eva foam for five hours yeah in the middle of the night. Like, that sounds like hell to me. Yeah. But I can see that this makes this, like, 19-year-old kid really happy. And, like, yeah. good for you, Genji. <laughs> good for you. Like, go go, go wiggle your ninja butt over on the dance floor. Yeah. Like, you're not harming anybody. Yeah. Um. So, in 2014, the Midwest Fur Fest mm-hmm. suffered from a chlorine leak. And wow. 19 people were sent to the hospital. As of this time, they don't have any leads um, mm-hmm. on this attack, um, and they don't really know how it happened or why it happened or who who did it. I think mm-hmm. that that's really sad. And again, like yeah. these are people; they're basically a bunch of trekkies in like fur outfits. Yeah. What it's, harm are they causing? Super, super harmless. Yeah. Um, in two thousand fifteen to two thousand seventeen, we start to see a lot of cl- uh, cons. They started to close down. Um, mm-hmm. 
largely to a variety of issues, which includes, like, taxes, yeah. the organizational difficulties of, like, putting an event like that together. Yeah. Super and I, hard. Yeah, and I assume uh, a lot of cities, they're they're noticing all these cons and they want to regulate them. Yeah. So there's a lot of loop, loops to jump through. A lot of hoops to jump through <laughs> before I can actually get it up and going. Yeah. And then, um... Also, just due to attendee bad behavior, Mm -hmm. and I think that this is a widespread issue that is affecting all of the con communities, Yeah, and it's, I I would imagine, and it is my assumption, that it's not unique to the furry fandom. No, it's not, and especially nowadays where you're, the whole idea of things like cosplay is not consent. Yes. You're starting to see that a lot Mm -hmm. in modern cons, and I think part of that is also due to the fact that you know, cons are growing. You have all these cultures now in the spotlight, in the mainstream. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of people are introduced to it. They want to join it, but may not necessarily know the etiquette. Yeah. And we saw this happen with um, rave culture. Yeah. Rave culture had a huge social shift when it went from um, just a bunch of weirdos like us yeah. that, like, can't find trance anywhere so we go to see, like, Paul Oakenfold in, like, the Coliseum or wherever. Yeah. Um, because that was literally the only time you could see him, and it was all about the music. And you'd have some drug culture, yeah. but it wasn't that big. Yeah. Um, and then now it's, like, the thing for, like, people to go to to get yeah. wasted. Yeah, and for Instagram likes. It's, yeah. it's not so much about people liking the music culture mm-hmm. in, in, like, the the culture of, you know, light shows and everything. Nowadays, it's more of, like, how big of an Instagram influencer are you? Yeah, it's totally about the party culture. And again, like, yeah. these these things are ebb and flow. Things change. And so I, I think it's the same thing with the con convention um, circuit. Um, you're also seeing that in tournaments mm-hmm. in regards to um, personal hygiene. Mm-hmm. Personal hygiene has become a huge problem yeah. in, like, well, cons, which we can yeah. agree upon. Um, the other place like they're banning people with bad personal hygiene from Yu-Gi-Oh card tournaments and like Magic the Gathering tournaments because it's like you have to be considerate we have so many people now it's like first off we're in a position to turn people away if they're misbehaving Mm -hmm. or if they're smelly or if they're doing illegal stuff yeah uh, like groping children Mm -hmm. Um, and and so I could see why as a result you know they're getting a bad rap the city might not want to hold like host them anymore. Yeah. So it's like this delicate balance of like protecting your community, but also being like, yo, like don't be an asshat. Like be nice to people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I wanted to finish out my research before we start getting into sort of closing thoughts mm-hmm. with a quote. Cool. Uh, Furry fandom is not now, nor has it ever been born of a sexual fetish. There are no more or fewer persons of alternative sexuality in our fandom than anywhere else. Hmm. Now, this was said by Samuel Conway. Uh-huh. He is a professional research scientist, and he's a chairman of Anthrocon. Hmm. Um, within the community, the community calls him Uncle Kage uh-huh. because he is a furry. Um, and just to note, he's listed as a professional research scientist. I dug a little deeper. Mm-hmm. He is an American researcher in pharmaceutical, biomedical, and agrochemical fields of organic chemistry. Wow. He does hold a PhD. He got it in chemistry from Dartmouth College. Mm-hmm. He's not a psychologist. He doesn't, like, study social behaviors of humans. Uh-huh. Um, and so I, I, I think it, it's always worth being... 
curious and and it really kind of understanding your sources before you start kind of throwing something behind something as like weight, right? Like Yeah. I think that they're they're really trying to legitimize the community by having somebody like Uncle Kage mm-hmm. in 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 the board in a, and whatnot. Yeah, in a managerial role. Yeah, and and speaking so eloquently on behalf of a lot of people that may mm-hmm. not be able to express these things themselves. Yeah. So I think that that's pretty cool and pretty interesting. And yeah. I personally cannot find any substantial research on furries. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't consider psychology today to be like the be all and end all of, of psychiatric medicine yeah. or um, of anything of that sort. My personal re- reference and resource for that is World Health Organization. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't find anything on that. Yeah. Like most of the surveys that I saw were within the community itself. Yes, so same. a lot of them were, were self-run mm-hmm. surveys and studies by furry related websites. Right. Uh, the most prevalent study I could find was actually from UC Davis in 2008. Oh my God. This is like the most legitimate thing I've probably like heard so far yeah. in our research. I'm so excited. <laughs> so that was the only study I could find. Um, the survey confirmed several stereotypes, quote unquote, of the furry community uh, in regards to the demographic. So they were overwhelmingly male. 81% of the furry fandom was male, according to the UC Davis study, the majority of which were Caucasian and American. Um, only, well, it's UC Davis. Yeah, so it's UC Davis. Which is in America. Yeah. So, of course, their sample size is going to be American. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, it's going to skew. Yeah. Um, only 18% of respondents have reported owning one or more fursuits. So, according to that study, in the furry fandom, only a small subset was involved in owning or using fursuits, which I felt was really interesting. I think we, we're going to, again, because we don't know anything about this fandom, we yeah. haven't really experienced a whole lot of it. Yeah. We're going to make assumptions about it. Yeah. But like, think about it. Just because you like anime, does that mean you cosplay? It depends on the person. Just because you like video yeah. games, does that mean you have a Twitch account and you live stream yeah. all of your games? So yeah. It, yeah, it's yeah. very easy to, to formulate a conclusion because... We just, we don't know. So that's, that is really interesting. So basically one in five, less than one in five. Yeah. Less than one in five. And it did, um, have information about the ratio of reported sexual orientations. Mm -hmm. And we do see that again, uh, the large majority is considered bisexual or identifies as bisexual. Uh, 33% were considered heterosexual and then 26% thought of themselves as homosexual or other. Yeah. So that, that two thirds figure that i mentioned earlier that mm-hmm. stacks up lgbt yep. is about two-thirds yep and they also found out that over half of all respondents took part in furry related internet friendships blogging chat rooms anything related to that 42 percent attended conventions and close to a third attended parties uh, just over one sixth took part in specific specific auctions for art Interesting. Yeah. Um, one last bit of information that they had uh, that I didn't see in other surveys. Um, as far as political alignment, uh, 40% classified themselves as liberal or very liberal. 16% were considered moderate and just 7% were considered very conservative or conservative. Um, 35% of people in the study were either other, quote unquote, or not political at all. I think that's a relevant part of of the questions first yeah. i'm going to ask what is the sample size of the survey i did not see anything regarding the sample size i'm always so. curious about that yeah um 
I, I've seen pretty consistently across the board that you do, and this is from NPR's Hidden Brain. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a book that we've, we've both read, um, Tell Me Tell me what you want. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, where you do see trends along liberal or democratic political views uh-huh. and very specific behaviors yeah. or sexual interests and um, with conservative. Um, mm-hmm. For example, conservatives do tend to have a lot of people that are in the closet, so to speak, yeah. because it may not necessarily coincide with their conservative views views yeah and 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 what does that mean and and whatnot yeah porn porn (laughs) good stuff we watched we watched some porn (laughs) um i was i was surprised by a couple of things one was that it was so short did you notice yeah and like i don't know i feel like porn can, can range from like a couple of minutes to like an hour yeah um but I, th- I was surprised there was, like, all under three minutes. Yeah, and I think part of it is you don't really see that much porn of people using fursuits. A lot of it is artistically made. Yeah. So what, the one clip that we managed to see, it was CGI, and it was animated pretty detailed. Yeah, you had a lot. You know, p- people people see a lot of CGI, but you, I don't know if a lot of people really appreciate the amount of work that it takes to create a, a 3D character. Yeah. You have to model the character in 3D. You have to rig it. You have to animate it. You have to light it. Mm-hmm. And because this is a furry creature, you have physical particle systems, which yeah. is a whole, whole other level. Fucking nightmare. <laughs> I'm so triggered just thinking about it. But it but you know, so the fact that somebody takes the time to make that really shows you that there's somebody out there that Really wants to make it. It's dedicated. And really wants to see it. Yeah. Um, we saw a couple of, of 2D yeah. animated pieces. Um, some were loops from like uh, uh, porn games. Mm-hmm. And porn games have been around since video games were born. Yeah. Um, like I remember there was one in the 90s. It was like the dude with all the bikini girls. Do you remember him? Yeah, yeah. You would, you would go to uh, like clubs. Yeah, CompuServe. Or like even if you like went to a dive bar or a club, you would see that, that weird game console on the bar that nobody touches. Yeah. But, like, when you put a quarter in, it's, like, kind of like a puzzle game where you have to rearrange all the pieces and it's, like, some old picture of a girl in a bikini. Yeah. Or, like, topless. Yeah, so we definitely saw that in the porn. Yeah. Um, and a lot of stuff comes up for quote-unquote furry. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was mostly like 2D, 3D animation. Not a whole lot of humans in their fursuits. Nope. Or yiffing that I could yeah. see. Um, if they are in their fursuits, it, you couldn't really see their like, their bits. Yeah. I noticed that. And then um, in 2017, you know, like Pornhub has their like year in review. Yeah. There is one hit for furry. Just one? Would you like to guess which country it was? America? It was not America. What? It is a country in the Eastern European Soviet bloc. Former Soviet bloc. I'm going to take a stab and guess Kazakhstan. No, it was Ukraine. Really? Yeah, so like, again, it's just like this really bizarre, like, I love Pornhub's insights. Because it's just like, you get the most fascinating, bizarre results out of it. Yeah. So, yeah, as far as just, like, furry porn, like, I didn't seem to find a whole lot of it. And yeah. the nature of it was, like, blowjobs. Yeah. Head, well, I, like, people fucking anal sex. Yeah, and I, I think also part of it is, 
since it was so established so early along the early internet and developing like you know World Wide Web 1.0 you that segment was already covered with their own websites you already had dedicated you know homegrown websites on GeoCities or Angel Fire you had early DeviantArt Rule 34 yeah was essentially founded 4chan. upon yeah 4chan was a lot of that was mostly founded upon you know the sexual aspect of the furry fandom yeah so when you already have those mediums available kind of what's the point of you know migrating it over to Pornhub for example yeah and Pornhub it's my bias that Pornhub is normie porn yeah it's like just a very general sort of like everybody knows what Pornhub is yeah so it would make sense that there isn't a huge amount of furry porn on there but it is there so for those of you that are that are listening that are curious check it out yeah um, you can see a fox dog guy lick someone's asshole before he shoves <laughs> his, like, doggy fur dick into... In, into it, and, yeah, it's... And then you have, like, full-on, like, ball, ball, dick, dick, yeah. anus sort of shot. It's very and, fascinating. And a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of really accurate animal mannerisms. Yeah, but, I mean, it's yeah. porn. If yeah. you If you put your, like, fingers over the, like, the heads and the tails, like, it's, it's just, human it's bodies fucking. Yeah. Um, so I don't know about you, but I feel like the big thing that I came away with from this research was just like, furries are kind of normal people. Yeah. And I'm sure there's plenty of people that I know that I'm friends with that like are furries and I wouldn't know because they're just human beings. Yeah. And they're not like weird sexual deviants. I mean, there's like, there's that in every single fandom, every single BDSM culture. Like you're, you are going to have creeps. You are going to have people that are like pretty awful yeah but for the most part like people are just they just really like wearing a fursuit and that's it and they just they just want to live they just want to have fun they want to you know party with their friends and watch animal olympics hang out with their tail out (laughs) yeah hang out with their tail out (laughs) exactly so yeah i think that's everything i think that's that's we got that covered wow that's a very detailed episode guys we went deep oh my god i'm i'm ready to not think about this for a while it was very fun and challenging to to learn about something that not only did i have a bias about mm-hmm. um, have that bias challenged and and ultimately walk away from that bias and really just come to have an appreciation and sort of um, an affection and an affinity for yeah. a group of people that i'm not particularly close with yeah and and us we we were so adjacent to the culture growing up because we were part of that nerd culture. I love Tiny Toons and anime. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I did too. I was I grew up on it, yeah. so it, it's it's just very cool to actually have that insight into it and just be like, hey, it's like it's actually kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. So for those of you guys that are still listening, <laughs> thank you for listening thus far. In um, for anyone in the furry community. That has made it this far in. Um, I really hope that we did you guys... Uh, I, I hope we did you good. Yeah. And we did our best to honor sort of as many viewpoints and perspectives of, of the subject as we could. Yeah. And if there was stuff that wasn't quite correct, let us know. We, we'd love to hear all about it. Uh, any further information, you know, send it over our way. Yep. Yep. All right, guys. We'll see you for episode five. Kings and Phantoms.